I am Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today's Bible teaching is entitled, How Narcissists and Other Toxic People Corrupt Good Character, Part 3. And before I get into the third point today, I want to go over point number one and point number two. Point number one was entitled, They Cause You to Fuse with Them. And point number two is entitled, They Devalue You. And so today we're going to talk about point number three. And point number three is they inflict self-doubt, right? And so the way that any person inflicts self-doubt is by distorting your reality, right? And a lot of times the distorting of reality can occur via what? Dismissiveness and minimization, right? And then if someone can take what happened to you and rewrite the people, places, things, and ideas, right, that's surrounding your experience, they can distort your reality. And once they distort your reality, then what? You go and do the same exact thing that they just did, right? You start questioning whether the event even occurred, right? Maybe that didn't happen, right? You question when it happened. You question how it happened. You question where it happened. And then you question what? Why it happened, right? And one ruthless way of inflicting self-doubt is to gaslight, right? It's via gaslighting. An individual chooses to gaslight when they want to do a combination of things, okay? They want to distort your reality, they want to escape responsibility and accountability for whatever actions that they took that led them to engage in gaslighting in the first place. And then they want to damage your credibility. And so when people gaslight, they damage your credibility, right? By pulling a third party into the mix, right? They pull a third party, they name drop, so to speak. They name drop third parties so they can say, see, for, an ex for example, they might say something like, see, I, I talked to your mama about it and she told me you had problems dealing with this kind of stuff as a child. You did this kind of stuff as a kid. So don't be surprised if it starts popping up now. And so what are you going to think? Wow, my mother told him that? Then it must be true, right? So then whatever it was that they said to distort your reality, once they pull in your mama, then you're like, man. And what he's saying, what he's saying must be true. What she's saying must be true, right? So then your reality does what? It starts being distorted because what? He or she has implanted that seed of doubt, right? That seed of self-doubt. And once that seed has been implanted, you take it and you run with it, so to speak, right? You self-sabotage, right? And so another thing that happens is that the person, like I said, will think, wow, I can't believe it. My mother said this, right? It's got to be, they got to use somebody that you trust. If they use somebody that you don't really trust, then it's not going to make, it's not going to help them as far as having authority and credibility. So they got to go and pull somebody that you trust in, somebody that they know that you would listen to. So it's like, okay, I know if I use this person's name, if I name drop with this individual, right? I know that they're going to what? They're going to be convinced that what I'm saying is their reality instead of what it is that they're saying, right? And so what happens is that 
when the person begins to doubt whether or not what they're saying actually happened, then they start self-gas, the seed of self-doubt comes in. They begin to self-gaslight, right? And then they start distorting their own reality, right? And so that's when they begin to start, once that self-doubt comes in, did that really happen? Am I making this up? Maybe it wasn't that bad. Maybe it's all in my head, right? <laughs> or say, for instance, they might pull in your sister instead of your mama. They might pull in your sister. They might pull in your brother. They might pull in your grandmother. They might pull in the deacons from the church, any other people that's in leadership at the church. They might pull in the pastor, anybody that they know that they can use to help them have authority, to help give them credibility. And also they know it's a person that you trust. So any of any and all of the above can be used to what? For their own selfish game, for their selfish ambition, right? Because what are they thinking? If I can make them believe that these people, right, said that they do or don't do the same thing that I'm accusing them of, then I got them, right? When I use that bait, I've got them, right? Then I don't have to do as much work. That's what they think. I don't have to do as much work. All I got to do is name drop, right? And then I'll get the self-doubt inflicted upon them, right? And then I can distort their reality. And then they can come along, right along with me after being brainwashed and distort their own reality, right? And so people who gaslight and inflict self-doubt in general, they always triangulate. They need other people to help them out. That's part of the problem. They have to have other people to help them out, right? And so when Satan got into Eve's head, he figured what? All I got to do is just make her believe that she's in lack, that she's sitting there in a state of lack, that she has deficiencies. That's all I got to do, that her experience of God's love was faulty, right? Make her believe the lie that God's love was restrictive because he set that one boundary. That's all I got to do, right? He knew that. But guess what? Love always includes boundaries. It always includes boundaries. Otherwise, love becomes abuse, right? Because when we misunderstand a person, place, thing, or idea, right? We misunderstand the value and misunderstanding the value means what? We're going to misuse it. And when we misuse something, what does that mean? We're going to abuse it, right? He created Adam and Eve in his own image, right? God created them in his own image, right? And so guess what? Satan got into Eve's head. It's like, well, guess what? You're not the exact replica of him, right? And therefore, you are a manufacturer reject. He got into her head. He got into her belief system, right? He distorted her reality of what God really said, right? And then what? Distorted her reality by, uh, she distorted her own reality by adding the word touch to it. It was a sneaky gaslighting tactic. Tactic. Okay, so I'm going to distort her reality. And then guess what? She's going to go ahead and distort her own reality. That's some messed up stuff, isn't it? But that's what happens. Once that seed of doubt sets in, and then the distortion of reality occurs by somebody else, then we self-distort, if that makes sense, right? It says in scripture, and this is Genesis, the third chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. 
But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. See that self-distortion? <laughs> Once the seed of self-doubt came in, once he started going, did he really say, right? It's just like taking the test when they start adding the words really, right? If only, would have, should have, should have, right? Could have. When they start adding all those extra words and conditions in there, you start thinking, well, I thought I knew what the answer was to this question, but now I'm not really so sure. They do that a lot on what? The SAT, the AC, uh, ACT, the SAT test, right? And then you start thinking, well, maybe I don't know the answer to this question. By the time they get through jacking up, adding them extra words in there, right? Because that's all they got to do is add one word in their sense. Or really. <laughs> Whereas, just any extra word to throw you off. And this is what Satan did. He got in her head, right? And when people get in your head, they get into your belief system. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The goal of the self-doubt inflictor in general is to get you to believe what they believe by challenging your beliefs. And some of the things that people are trying to change your beliefs about, to be honest, is, is petty and just trivial, right? And once you are aware of what they're doing, you just shake your head and think to yourself, wow, you're going to actually go to such great lengths for me to believe what you believe about something as simple as this. This is just crazy, right? But think about it. If a person can get you to believe what he or she believes, right, they can change your operating system from love and freedom to what? To power and control. They can what do what? change your operating system. And the next thing you know, they change all your beliefs. They change your operating system. They're what? They're changing your worldview from a biblical worldview to whatever other kind of worldview that they want you to have, right? And so it's like, become like me, a clone, right? And this is what Satan did with Eve, right? And people do the same thing with us, right? They want to change what we believe and they're going to change what? Who we believe in. So if they can change what we believe, then they're going to do what? It's going to also do what? It's going to filter down to who we believe in. Because what we believe, there is a source, right? There's an individual person. There's a source of what it is that we believe. So they can change what we believe. They're going to also change what? Who we are believing in, right? So it's like change your beliefs. Then I can change your worldview, right? From biblical to whatever ideology that I want to change it to, whatever I desire. That's what I'm going to do, right? That's the viper spirit talk, right? Viper spirit goes through the bloodline, right? And that's why it's so important for us to do our own individual soul work, right? Your friend, for example, your friend is using a product that's entitled Fierce Woman on her head. And she believes that everybody should be using this product, right? And however, think about it. We all have different hair textures. 
right? And we all have specific needs and desires when it comes to the products that we use, right? And for whatever reason, right? We don't even have to have a, a valid reason. We just, right? We, we buy things, we purchase things according to what? To our likes and our dislikes and uh, whatever it is, our skin makeup, the hair texture, all of that. But what for, for whatever reason it is, we have likes and dislikes. We're all uniquely and authentically designed and created, right? And so we're going to what? We're not going to all want to get the same thing. We're not going to all want to purchase the same thing, right? We're not going to all want to go to see the same movie, right? We're not going to want to all go buy the same purse or the same shoes or the same backpack, the same jacket, the same houses, the same cars. We're all individual people, right? And so what? for whatever reason... Instead of respecting you for having your own opinion, she keeps continuing on and on and on to tell you about the shampoo that she uses, right? And your mind, body, soul, and spirit, from the way that it's the messages is giving you, it's just letting you know, you know what? This is not coming from a good place. This is toxic. This is not coming from a good place. And guess what? So she finally ends up meeting up with her friend Sarah. And it just so happens that Sarah mentions this shampoo to her. Girl, you know what? I use Fierce Woman on my hair. I just love it. Oh, my goodness. I love it. So what happens? You see Sheila again, right? And what do you think Sheila going to say to you? Well, you know, girl, I was uh, I ended up running into Sarah the other day, and she said she used Fierce Woman shampoo on her hair. And then you're like, oh, really? And then it's like, instead of getting nasty with them, because you know what she's trying to do, right? it's evident what she's trying to do because she's been doing this for a while to try to what? Change your beliefs about something, right? And then what? Instead of getting nasty, you could say something like what? I'm so glad that Sarah has self-awareness and understand what she needs and wants for her body. That can be the end of the conversation right there about their fierce woman and go on and talk about something else, <laughs> right? And sometimes this behavior, it catches you off guard. It catches you off guard. And then it's like, I can't believe he or she is doing this, that they're going to great lengths to change my mind about something that's just so simple and trivial and petty. But like I said, when it comes to the viper spirit, when we are, when we get to the point of being infected with that spirit, we cannot stand for anybody to be doing anything that's different from us. And remember, the Pharisees were self-righteous cerebral narcissists. They were infected with the viper spirit. They didn't want anything, anyone else to be teaching anything differently than what? Than what they were teaching, right? And so that's what Jesus presented a problem for them. Same thing with Job's friends. They were self-righteous cerebral narcissists. They were early versions of the Pharisees. They didn't want anybody else, right, having any other beliefs than what they believed, right? And so that's why they had to attack Job. That was the only thing. They felt threatened by him. They were threatened already by his wealth, right? And jealous of him. And it just became more apparent once he was going through his wilderness season, right? But like I said, you just like, I can't believe he or she is doing this. I can't believe this, right? Nine times out of 10, emotional immaturity exists for people who do this, for people who will not allow you to have your own preferences in the people you hang out with, the places you go, the things you like, the uh, ideologies and philosophies that you have, that's emotional immaturity. That's a sign, a sure sign right there, right? Nine times out of 10, there's emotional immaturity that occurs, right? Rigidity in their world gets mistaken for being what? 
for high morality to be to being good people and, and having good morality, right? But rigidity gives the emotionally immature person a false sense of self-control. They are individuals who are in bondage and they will have you right there with them if you let them. You are enough. Reclaim your power, soul, and identity today. And then I want to challenge you to reclaim the power, soul, and identity of your calling. Grab your keys to the kingdom and get your inheritance. Again, I am Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. God bless you. And until next time. If this message has been of any value to you, I would love for you to hit the like button and share it. If you are looking for individual and or group coaching sessions, head over to thevalleyofgrace.com, book a call, or you can email me at Katina Horton, VGM, Valley Grace Ministries at gmail.com. Katina Horton. Change and maybe they take.
cross I again The valley of grace Never was the same After he had died The love that refines So much, so much for me. 